Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very interesting show here today. Okay. Let's broaden our minds. I want a cheeseburger. I want a milkshake. I want tables. Arts and entertainment. And I can. There is an academic type of word I can apply. Verisimilitude. Holy moly. I'm hot today. Hello, welcome back. It is Let's Talk Arts and Entertainment. I am your host, Kevin Hart. And we got a great show for you once again, starting out with State of the Arts with Gus Gordon. Then we're going to take a little short break, dude. Way Out Wednesday with Mike Windmacher. After news, talking with some of the people involved in Coalescence Theater Project's production of Juneteenth Street. Won't want to miss that. And then for Bottom of the Bargain Bin, the new Star Wars holiday special. Yes, that's right, a new Star Wars holiday special. All that is coming up, but first let's get into State of the Arts. Going to be coming up, well, one of them is Santa's Workshops Got Talent. We talked a little bit about this. Um, this is um, this is a children's musical that is being done pretty much entirely through Zoom. Um, they, they posted the cast list recently, and uh, that mm-hmm. the production is uh, directed by Cynthia Higginson, and it is going to be... They they posted some pictures of the Zoom rehearsals that they're doing, and uh, it is very smart. As we were talking a little bit about out there, it's very smart. They're doing this completely through Zoom, uh, but it's going to be right. uh, so much fun to watch. And um, th- again, so great that uh, that young people are getting something theater related to do because um, you know we all, we all need you know theater uh, during this time, and uh, it's it's just great. Young people are getting to do something. Exactly, and I'm really excited to see how they come up with this because. With these new restrictions, I think that's what people are going to have to do at the moment yeah. if they want to present anything. So uh, Cynthia Higginson and Sean Smith are co-directing this, and um, kudos for them for having the wherewithal to think ahead, and and now they don't have to stop rehearsal or anything. They can keep on rehearsing because of the way they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, so that will be that will be very good, and they are planning that for... Um, I had the date in front of me. I believe it is. Yeah, in... the virtual premiere is December seventeenth. That's right, seven o'clock. Yeah, and then it'll run on demand December eighteenth through January third. So you'll have a, you'll have several chances to get to see this. Yes, you will. It'll be a nice, a nice holiday show. You'll get to watch another. Uh, and, and I guess jumping around here, speaking of some on-demand shows, um, uh, the show STC's. The Spirit of Lincoln, a wonderful show, just premiered. It is going to be on demand, yeah. available through January as well, as well as Songs for a New World uh, is still available through on demand. You're able to watch it until the 10th of January. Exactly. Yeah, no, both shows will be there available for people to watch at their leisure. Mm-hmm. And again, we're going to have a lot more free time, I think, coming up. Yeah. And so there'll be more options of people for people to watch if they haven't seen them already. And I, I watched um, Spirit of Lincoln this last weekend. It was great. They did a super job with it. Yeah, I mean, just very, very, very moving. Um, of course, we we all and it, again, it's a show I didn't see. I, I, you see, you saw it. It was um, you guys did it uh, about ten something years ago. Um, I, I hadn't seen it. Very touched. I knew it was a lot of it was going to be about Lincoln and his impact. But so many of those sure. stories and these real people. I mean, it's uh, just, it's just amazing. I mean, and, and of course the cast. And Phil Funkenbush was a character in it. Yeah. Cool yeah. as that. Yeah, that's awesome. It is awesome, and the you know all the <laughs> all the different songs, um, and because I mean I was telling um, 
Who's that telling about this? I was, I was telling Jim Yale, who's the narrator. I talked with him. You know, I'm not, you know, wasn't trying to, you know, be funny or anything. It's like, you know, when I thought about like a, a show about Lincoln with songs, I was thinking, oh, I didn't, you know, this is going to be, you know, Amazing Grace and a couple other songs like that. But I mean, these were all, of course, original songs by Roger yeah. Wainwright, but based on some of the poems. Uh, well, for the one of um, uh, the character, uh, Mr. Dubin, who was um, who was in the concentration camp, this song based off his poem that he recited, and I mean that that was super, such such an emotional scene. But yeah, you know, all the song, you know, the the original songs, the original score. I mean, it's such a great production. And um, right, so- and I think if I'm not mistaken, Barry Cloyd, who was also a Ken Bradbury uh, collaborator, uh, composed that one. Was it the Three Flowers or Three Roses? Um, song the one that Mr. Dubin sang at I, the end of the show. I think mm, I'm not sure. I, was that? Mm, I I don't I don't remember exactly. He's saying it was something about the number on his arm. I believe that was the name. Okay, of the song, but yeah, well, um, Barry, Barry Cloyd, who uh, played a lot with uh, Ken and his Hootenannies, mm-hmm. and was in um, Cotton Patch Gospel with Ken a couple, several years ago at the Hoagland, uh, wrote a song that was included with all of Roger's great songs. So. A, a big Ken Bradbury celebration, and of course, of course Keith Bradbury yeah. played the role that Ken had played years ago and mm-hmm. did a super job. Yes, he did. So that was and Hope Cherry, the director, was a protege of Ken. So it's nice to see that his work will continue and is in good hands. Yes, it is, and it's yes, and it's a wonderful show. Um, again, that is streaming now on demand through January and if you did not see the premiere you'll be able to watch it whenever you want these next couple of months and is another one you will not want to miss as well as if you were not able to catch um, Songs for a New World that is still going to be going on and that was a wonderful production as well very talented cast, staff, orchestra everybody and um, again such a such a great show great performances all around so you'll be able to watch that anytime till the 10th of January Um. Also, I recently talked um, with uh, this. This show is going on this weekend. I recently talked the other day with um, a couple of uh, members of the Coalition's Theater Project. Uh, they are based in Bloomington. They're doing uh, a show virtually. Um, some of it, I believe, is going to be live, although it's going to be streamed through Show Ticks for You. And then some of it is filmed. Some certain scenes are filmed. Uh, the actors, of course, are in different parts of the state. Some are in different states completely. But um, the, the show is called Juneteenth Street. And it uh, deals. It is actually, and I find this. It is a, it is a part six of a nine uh, part collection of plays that all kind of have the same characters throughout, like a like a saga. And these characters mm-hmm. are, you know, who would be, and I, you know, much like a like a film saga would be, somebody who would be one uh, like a minor character, and one would be the main character, like two or three plays from then. So it's really interesting. And the play Juneteenth Street deals with a. Uh, a pastor who uh, inherits a church after his father dies um and uh there's there's a whole theme of there's like gentrification some generational uh you know ties with some some of the characters and um there's a lot of uh there's a lot of relevant uh elements regarding race and it's uh, so it seems like really interesting and that show is going to be free um a free production on Friday and Saturday uh, night so cool. they'll, and they'll have a talk back after it as well so then those are always interesting i love when shows do talk backs um with the yep. audience um they'll be doing it virtually so that will be that will be really interesting um as well um they also um 
coming up next week, uh, and this will be after Thanksgiving. This will be on Black Friday. Um, and in, in, instead of going out and trying to rush to the stores to get some on Black Friday, instead spend your money in a you know we. I'm not going to sit here and talk about don't you know you know support businesses and everything, but you know is it spend time with your family and and spend money on through Clara's eyes the documentary about the Nutcracker in Springfield um through right. the eyes of all the actresses who played Clara. I talked recently with Julie Ratz about this um and this and this is going to be a an awesome documentary. I keep seeing uh, screenshots of the uh, the editing software and all the t- so there's so much going on and it's just going to be such a wonderful. Wonderful. I'm excited to see it, the documentary. Right. They did a super job with this. They're going to have their VIP experience on November 27th Mm -hmm. at 6 o'clock, and that's going to have live elements uh, combined with the the, uh, documentary. So, And then following that, they'll stream the holiday performance, the the tape, from December 4th through January 3rd. So, yeah, there's a lot lot to offer, and... The live experience will have Julie Ratz and, and Gina um, DeCroix Russell. They'll be answering questions about the, the the show and about the ballet company. So that'll have a nice live element, and um, it'll be it'll be neat to see that, and it'll be neat to see the documentary on the history of the Nutcracker in Springfield. Yes, and will, and it's and they're um, and you, you will see and hear some very uh, familiar faces, some who have probably very recently played the role of Claire or have been in the Nutcracker. And some, they um, from uh, 45 years ago, they have uh, some people who have been who have uh, been in the show and gone on to, uh, you know, go out you know throughout the country, all sorts of different companies. But they all had uh, yeah. all had their start doing the uh, ballet company's production of the Nutcracker here. So that is going to be super cool. That is going to be. Well, Julie and Gina have done a super job of keeping this tradition going and thriving. Oh, yeah. Of course, Grace Nanavati was one of the founders of the Springfield Ballet Company, and uh, she is an institution in Springfield and oh, has yeah. done great, great work. And most of the dancers in the area have gone through Grace's classes at some time or another or worked with her in the show or in, you know, in class or wherever, but uh, she has had a huge influence on the uh, dance world and the theater world locally. One of my favorite segments we like to do uh, from time to time is there are these botched art restorations. Oh, yeah, those are I love these so priceless. much. So much. They got the, the, the Jesus that looks like a monkey. Um, <laughs> yes. They keep... Well, they keep messing up the Virgin Mary every time they try to restore. So, so now they have a statue. My, okay. my question is this, though. Why do they keep allowing people who aren't artists to touch these rare artifacts up? Because this one is great. This one is great. Because, like, I, I'm, there's a lot of things I can do. Art is not one of them. Same and here. if I was tasked with trying to restore a piece of art like that, I know I wouldn't be able to do a great job at no, it. No, no. And I'm not a sculptor, so I wouldn't be able to do that with a, uh, uh, with a statue. But apparently... That just wasn't a problem for they said we're going to hire whoever we want to to do this statue. Me, I'll do it. I'll do. It. Well, that's you got the J. You're probably better than this person because if we show the picture here of oh, this, uh, yeah, Ooh. yeah. I mean, oh look. no, Mr. Bill. <laughs> that's what that looks like. We have the picture still up. That's what that looks like. It looks like Mr. Bill's animator did the replacement of the statue. Or like the uh, there was a there was a Cyclops movie where. The the Cyclops just had one eye and it was like just drooped down. That's what this reminds me. Like, how do you, how do you mess up this 
so badly. <laughs> yes. It has it, it. The eyes are all over here, and it's it, it's like not even connect. I mean, it looks it looks like a cartoon or like the a mouth Picasso. is what gets me more than the eyes. Even just ooh, I'm shocked at everything. <laughs> it's like I just saw. What did you do to me? Exactly. Snap. Snap. Got it. Yeah, we got it. You know, Home Alone's turning 30 this year. Might as well do the Kevin McAllister thing. Oh! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of statues, another thing we like to talk about from time to time was there was this big push over the summer replacing all Confederate statues with different statues. We had uh, Columbus was supposed to be Chef Boyardee, and we had the list went on and on. Now there's a petition online saying that every Confederate statue in Tennessee should be turned into a Dolly Parton statue. And you know what? I'm here for it. Yes. I mean, because if you read the story earlier this week, the Moderna coronavirus vaccine partially funded by Dolly Parton. If you can believe that, Dolly Parton had the extra funding. She goes, I'm just trying to help people. And now she wants to be on play in Playboy. Did you see that, too? She wants to pose for Playboy at age 75. Go ahead. And Playboy has said, if you want to, right, come on, come on, come on over, Dolly. Yeah. Come on over. Absolutely. So what is the, you know, replacing Confederate statues? What is the Confederacy given us? Racism, ugly flags, <laughs> yeah, uh, a bunch of uh, racism. They wanted slavery to be the law. What has Dolly Parton given us? Jolene, nine to five. Uh, Dolly World and the best little whorehouse in Texas. The best little whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> just that Such alone. A great just, movie. Just that alone should give her statues everywhere and maybe burial mounds next to them maybe. too. Of just, course, just throwing that out yeah. there. Uh, Pigeon Ford is where Dollywood is at. Pigeons leads us to our next story on Way Out Wednesday, where a... Now, I didn't realize these were things. I guess Mike Tyson owns some of these racing pigeons. I've never seen them televised. I mean, the Ocho has dug deep. Like, when Cornhole shows up on your TV, uh, the next step is the pigeon racing. And apparently very, I would imagine, lucrative, because recently a champion racing pigeon named New Kim which is a terrible name. Apparently, old Kim died. Oh. Don't know what happened. That's why we have new Kim. Oh. R.I.P. Old Kim. <laughs> the new pigeon, two years old, was sold for a record $1.9 million for a racing pigeon. What a steal. Oh, my yeah, God. This, uh, apparently, the auction website says this pigeon in particular was retired by trainer, get, get this, Gaston Van de Wauer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because is... when I think of pigeon racing, I think no one trains like Gaston. The pigeons like Gaston. That's what I think yes. of when I think of pigeon racing. <laughs> well, that is wonderful. I love me some pigeon racing. I know nothing about it, but I have to look it up because it sounds so great. By the way, the person who bought this pigeon in particular apparently also purchased a pigeon a couple of years ago for $1.4 million. The champion racing pigeon named... Armando. Armando. Yeah, you don't want to mess with Armando. No, Armando, he's... he's he'll, he'll peck your eyes out. He'll peck your eyes out. He's <laughs> sweeping the competition. hey Yeah. What do we got to wrap things up on Way Out Wednesday, uh, Kevin? I think it has to do with one of your favorite people. It does. One All of right. My, oh, one of my favorite personalities on the radio, the television, and the Twitter sphere... Our boy Ben Shapiro. Oh, you love yourself oh, some BS. I you love, love some, the BS. I love some BS. <laughs> Yeah, he uh this time he's not talking about uh well, he's well we're, we're not even going to say what the last yeah, subject was. Yeah. We got to we got to make sure this the FCC didn't get get rid of us. Go but, to our OnlyFans account to find out what that was all yeah. about. Mhm. And the uh so 
he was replying to a tweet that Candace Owens, one of my other favorite people, okay. was uh, – so Harry Styles went on – Go ahead. Harry Styles went on Vogue with a uh, – in a dress. Um, now, now, for those who don't know Harry Styles, he was in One Direction and now is his own – he's kind of trying to be the Justin Timberlake of One Direction. Yeah. It's, it's from what I've gathered. It sounds about right. He, I mean, he's been in movies and other things as well. Yeah. But he's in Vogue and he's in a dress. He's in Vogue and he's in a dress and uh, – That's fine if that's what he wants to do. Yeah, and – Candace Owens took exception to that, writing on Twitter. There is no society that can survive without strong men. The East knows this. In the West, the steady feminization of our men at the same time that Marxism is being... Shut the hell up. Anyways. Um, Okay, I don't mean to be mean, but when you're looking to one of the members of One Direction to be the manly men of your society, I think you may have looked in the wrong place. Yeah, well... But what's the what's the definition of manly though? That's true. Very. You know what? You're right. You're onto something. They they are manly men to get out there in front of people and put on those sweet dance moves. Yeah. Good for One Direction. Good for them. Good for them. But uh oh, our boy old Ben Shapiro was not happy with uh he 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 went and defended Candace Owens. Oh, and of he, course he did. He put in a string of tweets that well I can only I can only read these in my best Ben Shapiro voice. Oh, for, I can't wait for, for this. our listeners. This is perfectly obvious. Anyone who pretends that this is not a referendum on the masculinity for men to non-fluffy dresses is treating you as a fallen idiot. Masculinity and femininity exist. Outward indicators of masculinity and femininity exist in nearly every human culture. Boys are taught to be more masculine in every virtual human culture, and before men, is not always the role of women. The left knows this, of course. The point of Styles doing this photo is to feminize masculinity. Oh, Otherwise, why would he be in a headline worthy for Styles to don a dress? Uh, That's Ben Shapiro for you. Oh, God. Reading... All this in five seconds. I probably read it a little too slow. He's probably like, he's probably <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, speed it up. We got to exactly. get going. Come on. We got to get to a break. Here's the thing what it boils down to. Wear what you want to wear. And you know what? If he was a fashion designer or a fashion editor, as it were, I may put more stock into what he has to say in critiquing the outfit in and of itself. Yeah. But what he's saying is just Flattens ridiculous. This, this, this is coming from a man who was apoplectic and beside himself that Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion put out a sexual song about oh, sex. Like, yeah, wow. That was sexual in nature. And he's like, this is terrible. And oh, my goodness, my pearls. I got to clutch them. Everybody, let's just take a collective deep breath. All right. <sighs> Breathe and try to find some common ground. And that common ground should not be about people's choice of clothing. Let's Please. face facts. Hey, Ben Shapiro, have you worn anything besides sweatpants since the pandemic cut out? I don't think so. So when you start dressing up a little bit better, sir, you can comment on other people. Actually, that's not very much true because the sweatpants I wear are made. Uh, Whatever. Whatever. Whatever, uh, BS. We'll see what Ben Shapiro has to say next week because I'm sure he'll uh, uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's always on some sort of tangent. Uh, <laughs> Good old BS. Good old BS. This is what we just love some BS here on uh That's what Way Out Wednesday's all about. Out Wednesday's all about. <laughs> Nothing but BS for the best of for the best betterment of uh the show. Yes. I love it. That was an actual sentence. Please and thank you. <laughs> I think that'll do it for that'll, Way Out Wednesday. That'll right? do Whoa! it. Wow. Juneteenth Street. I am talking with one of the stars of that show, Reverend McHenry. Played by Gregory Hicks. How are you, Gregory? Hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, tell me a little bit about this show, Juneteenth Street, because um, I'm being honest, I don't know a whole lot about it. And um, uh, what's what's the show about? Well, uh, it's it's written by Reginald Edmonds, and it's 
uh, part six of his City of the Bayou collection of a series of plays. And in this particular play, it takes place in Texas, and you have this this pastor taking over this church after the death of his father. So, you know, he was a PK growing up, and now, you know, his father has passed away, so everybody in the community is expecting him to take over, and which he does. And that's kind of how the play opens. And it just takes you on this ride of, of his, of his trial to, to kind of answer his, his calling, so to speak. Hmm. All right. And, uh, and so, and so this character you play, Reverend McHenry, tell me a little bit about, uh, um, of course he's the, the one, uh, talking about here, but, uh, uh, his his role in all this and what he um his, sorry I guess his motivations and um and you know what he does there in the show. Right. So, like I said, he is he's the new pastor of Mount Mount Saint Moses Missionary Baptist Church, a Fourth Ward, and he he really is you know he he takes over. So there's this church that you know needs leadership. And like I said, he's, he was a PK preacher's kid growing up. And, you know, he is the one to kind of, you know, take over. And he's always been compared to his father. I mean, it's, it's a generational thing, right? right? Like his father answered the call of ministry. His grandfather answered the call of ministry. And for him, he was trying to make his own way through. He was trying to do the things that, you know, that he felt that he should do. However, when he, when he did those things that always brought him back to the church. So now he's literally answering this call and trying to pick up these pieces. I mean, this church has been in, in his family for, for decades and it hasn't been renovated and things of that sort. So he's literally left to pick up the pieces in this, in this play. Right. And the so this, uh, did you guys record this production, or are you uh, are you going to be performing it live through uh, show ticks for you? Was this a recorded uh, show? It actually uh, it's it's part two parts. So there will be some pieces that are recorded, pre-recorded, and then there'll be some pieces that are that are live, streamed live, and most of it will be streamed live. It's just kind of cool how you know since obviously there's a global pandemic, we are still artists who want to perform and want to get these powerful messages like the messages that are in Juneteenth Street out. So we are doing kind of a blended, a blended production. Right. So are they, um, so with the pre-recorded segments, are they, are they, um, are they video segments? Um, you know, maybe something hat like, is it, is it part of part of the show itself? Like certain scenes or would it be um, like a like a video element that goes with it? Correct. There'll be certain things that are that are pre-recorded, and then they'll be mixed in with the live. So then we'll also have um, an editor who is going to be kind of you know cueing the show as as we perform it. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, where yeah. is um, and I, I guess I'll uh, jump a little hip around here to a. Uh, Coalescence Theater Project. What is the Coalescence Theater Project, and where are you guys uh, located, and where the show is being uh, performed uh, from? 
Well, typically, Coalescence Theater Project would be doing things out of Bloomington, Illinois, Bloomington, Normal, Illinois area. Mm-hmm. And like I said, because of COVID, it actually kind of broadened what we can do and who we can reach. I mean, we have one actress who's in Cincinnati. We have a couple of us who are in the Chicagoland area, and then a couple of us are in Bloomington. So it kind of allows us to, you know, you find the pros and cons and everything, right? So right. This, this situation that we're in and then the way technology is, it's allowing us to actually cast and find, you know, different people and to work with. So it's kind of, it, 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 it works. Talking with the director of Juneteenth Street, the show by Coalescence Theater Project, based in Bloomington, but they are doing a uh, a virtual production uh, streamed through Show Ticks for you. The director of that production, Catherine Brown, is with me on the phone. How are you, Catherine? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, so the show, Juneteenth Street, uh, tell me, uh, how you first got involved with this and what your vision was for the show as director. Um, I'm um, part of the leadership team on Coalescence Theater. And so um, Don, who's over Coalescence, asked me if I wanted to direct a show this year. And so he passed me a few scripts and Juneteenth really resonated with me. And so I picked that one and um, and we just kind of... Um, my vision for it is really kind of just to translate these major moments that are happening in the script that kind of mimic and mirror what's happening in real life right now and make them translate as real as possible. So that was kind of the vision that I had for the actors. Yeah. Right. And the, um, and so, and and you said you were, um, you, you, uh, what, what part of, I'm sorry, what again, what part of, uh, Coalescence, were you part of again? I just, I, I'm not. Um, I'm. I'm just part of the leadership team. I, leadership just, team. I help okay. him do whatever he needs me to do. Awesome. <laughs> He'll yeah. send me things, and I'll do that. I'm actually an actress first, and that's normally what I do with co- coalescence. Is I act. Nice. But um, he's been, you know, bringing me on to get more involved with this uh, company, and so um, this was just an opportunity that he extended so that I can continue to develop. That's that's awesome. How long have you been? Uh, acting or at least helping out with the Coalescence Theater project? Um, I did my first show with Coalescence at the beginning of this year. I've been acting for, I've been in um, over 40 shows now, Um, but I've been with Coalescence since the beginning of this year. This will be my fourth production with them um, and my first time doing the directing side of it. Your experience directing, how uh, how has that been thus far? It's been really neat to be on the director's side, and because I'm an actress, it's been neat to um, see the behind-the-scenes the work. I guess I didn't ever really realize everything that directors are doing. I mean, I understand that they're picking, you know, the characters' outfits and all of their, you know, meeting with different parts of the staff, but I just, I guess I didn't really take the time to think about how involved they were on the back end because as an actor you come to rehearsal you show up for the show you know if you have a fitting you go where they tell you but when you're the director you're kind of telling them where to go and so it was neat to take one hat off and put another one on and to be able to relate to my actors from an actor standpoint and maybe not give them maybe as much 
direction, but more allow them to develop their characters in a way that they see fit. So I thought it was a pretty cool experience to be in a director's chair, but have the actor's perspective. So I liked being able to tell them what to do, but I also loved watching them create these people and, and make them who they are. Talking now with the playwright of Juneteenth Street, Reginald Edmund. How are you, Reginald? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for being on. Uh, so this this uh, this play, Juneteenth Street. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about uh, t- what your inspiration was for writing this, and um, or I guess when did you start writing it, and what uh, um, t- and I guess also a little bit about what the show is about, um, and how you kind of came into came into writing it. Yeah. So. Uh... Juneteenth Street is a part of this uh, this nine-play series that I created called the City of the Bayou Collection. Uh, and and the way that the City of the Bayou Collection works is where one play ends, the next play begins. Where one character is a minor character in one play, they become the major character in the next, right? right. And so um, I was really interested in, in looking at how communities shape and shift and and how actions of one person or one event in a community impacts the whole. Uh, so that's really the whole uh, reason behind the exploration of this play. Um, but in terms of, of, of that series, but in terms of this play, in terms of Juneteenth Street, I was really wrestling with uh, the questions about gentrification, mm-hmm. about um, where we where we stand in terms of, of generational blessings and curses. Um, also I wanted to, to explore, um, uh, how does one, uh, build on someone else's legacy, but also create their own. Mm-hmm. And so those are some of the things that I was really trying to explore through, through the creation of this piece. Talk a little bit about the characters, uh, in this show, um, of course, Reverend McHenry, and then, uh, some of the other characters, uh, that are part of the story and how they factor in. Yeah. So, uh, Reverend John McHenry is uh, the third generation to be handed the uh, the keys to uh, Mount St. Moses uh, Baptist Church, right? Which is this church, it's the oldest church in this fictionalized community of the Fourth Ward of Houston, Texas. And uh, he's at this point. Uh, where he wanted to go off and create his own legacy. He wanted to uh, create uh, a school, right? And, but then uh, when the passing of his father occurred, he thrust into uh, having to come back and take over this church alongside his wife, mm-hmm. Angela, who uh, is reluctant to come back to city Houston, Texas. Um and then you also have, in this piece, you have uh, Deacon Raymond, who is like the, the spiritual counsel of that community, of that church, um, and, and, and an older figure for, for the community. And then you have um, various different other people within the mix. You got Ty Southmill, who may or may not see his brother, right? There's some... Uh, might be McHenry's uh, blood brother, right? Right. And so various different stories taking place within this world. Yeah. And then 
on top of that, you have uh, the question about um, how will he uh, build that legacy? So there is a character that comes around and offers a very pretty uh, package to create this community center uh, that's supposed to be good for the community, but it also involves uh, taking some of the properties of these individuals within the community and and uh, shifting it. It's time for Bottom of the Bargain Bin. With Kevin Hart. A new holiday special was put out just a couple of days ago on Disney+. Plus. This was a holiday-themed Lego Star Wars special. Uh, Lego Star Wars, you know, the popular Legos, of course, the little Star Wars figures. But Lego Star Wars was also a video game, a couple of video games, actually. And they had a little funny takes on some of the scenes in the movies. It's very stylized. It's cool-looking. And uh, they, they put out this brand-new special. Now... This special is, of course, taking a very humorous, much in the vein of the Star Wars, Lego Star Wars video games, taking a much humorous tone uh, to this. Twas the night before Life Day, in a galaxy far, far away. Looking good, tree, food, decorations. Coming together, heroes were, to celebrate the day. Please be a cape, please be a cape. It's a wrap! There you go. And, and you know they got all sorts of Star Wars themed puns and jokes and little little, little gags for the uh, for the fans, you might say. Uh, and then uh, the, you know the the main the main story. Of course, you got to have a story if it's just uh, just a little special, you know, little variety thing. And then you know you get into the the original one, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, we have the the story here, which is Ray is trying to find out being the true meaning of her Jedi training, how she can train Finn to be a better Jedi and. Finn got kind of a raw deal in the sequel trilogy. He really, his story arc did not go where it probably should have. But that's one man's opinion. Uh, but so she, Ray, has to find out by going back in time to the different Star Wars movies, or I guess places in time within this story, to figure out what she's been missing in her Jedi training. Sorry, oh, Master Luke, what are you doing? This is so cool! We've seen my master. My master's master. Concentrate. My master's father. Impressive. My master's father's master. Now, as you can imagine, playing with time travel like this, this gets a little rocky and there's some problems that go along the way. Before we get too much into this one, let's jump back a couple of decades to the original... Star Wars holiday special back in the 70s. Everything had some sort of big special. Some hol- these were these were commonplace. So Star Wars doing one, uh, I'll guess nowadays people look at it in these lens like this is terrible. But back then that would have been a normal thing to do and make a make a special such as this. Our only hope now is to outrun that Imperial garbage scow. Though I'm going to lights. <laughs> That's the spirit. You'll be celebrating Life Day before you know it. Yep, Chewbacca and his family, and they had a whole family of Wookiees in this special. They celebrate Life Day once a year. They all gather around the tree and they sing songs, kind of like uh, kind of like Christmas, but you know, it's Star Wars themed, I guess. Uh, and but this, you know, this this special was a full ninety minutes with commercials, and they had a lot of special celebrity guest appearances that uh, the Star Wars fans would love, like. 
B. Arthur. I don't get many flowers, I, but you didn't have to bring me anything. A, a, a Krellman. Krellman, what a nice name. Yes, B. Arthur played a bartender in one of the scenes. Also, Harvey Corman dressed up in drag and was doing a cooking show. Listen, this was this was not a very good uh, holiday special. You know, I've been joking a little bit, but now this was pretty bad. And uh, you know, it's it's cobbled together with stock footage, deleted footage from the original movie. Um, there's there's very cheap production value with some of the uh, uh, some of the Wookies are just people in Chewbacca masks wearing robes. Uh, it's it's pretty terrible. Uh, there was some cool things in it. It was the first time people ever saw Boba Fett. He was uh, in this animated portion of it. Uh, it ends with this song they wrote that Carrie Fisher sings, and Carrie Fisher is a good singer, but uh, the song she's singing... We celebrate a day of that's enough of that. We're not going to listen to any more of that. So, uh, so what does this new Star Wars special do? Uh, well, it does a does a lot in a very short time. It's about half the length, about forty four minutes long, and it, really, it it just draws in a lot of the uh, of the Star Wars movies and properties into this one big thing. Because Ray's going back in time, she's jumping through portals, and she's seeing uh, all sorts of scenes from the movies. They have stuff from the Mandalorian in there. They even make fun of uh, some of the prequel movies and their more some would consider boring moments, as in episode one deals heavily uh, with politics and trade disputes and trade wars. And uh, here's here's a Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon sort of bickering about it. Uh, Ray goes into that scene at the beginning of episode one. Board, 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 board. Who cares about a trade dispute? Jedi do not seek adventure. So, so she's going all through there. Then you see, uh, you see Anakin and Obi Wan, and a couple of them. Then they, there's a part where they go on Hoth, and uh, Darth Vader is fighting Darth Vader because Darth Vader gets sucked into this as well. One, one of the main thing, the main big, uh, big action scene. They go into the finale of Episode Six where you have the Emperor, you have Darth Vader, and you have Luke. They go into that big scene near the end of uh, Episode 6, and, uh, on, you know, accidentally, the Emperor ends up seeing them. This, of course, is them. This is adding more of their humor in. They're bickering about the name of, what should we call the next Death Star? I sense you disagree, Lord Vader. No, it's just Death Star 2 feels kind of derivative. Mm-hmm. And I suppose you have a better name. How about Star Killer Base? Oh, that's the stupidest name I've ever heard. For those of you who aren't big Star Wars fans, uh, Star Killer Base is the name of the not Death Star in Episode Seven. Uh, so that's uh, that's that's pretty funny that they would throw that in there. So Ray is trying to as as basically Ray goes off on this mission herself. Uh, she goes to this cave on another planet and she finds this key that opens up the portal and she's able to go through all these different time periods and she sees Luke training with Yoda. Uh, in episode five, and of course I mentioned she goes to the prequels. They go to the pod race. There's a uh, the, one of the main things is she goes back to the beginning of episode four, the original movie from 1977, and she meets young Luke who's staring off into the sunset and drinking a carton of blue milk, which is uh, pretty funny. And she takes him and she takes them on the adventures, and because he's not the Jedi yet, you know, he's still this. 
basically like 18 year old kid going, well, I don't know anything about this, but I can fix droids. And it's 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 all it's all a lot of fun. There's a lot of there's a lot of jabs, like a lot of inside jokes, fourth wall breaking. Uh, there's when there's there's so many people going through all sorts of different time periods as Darth Vader makes his way into the portal and Ray's chasing him. Uh, there's there's like a there's a Han Greedo shooting first joke that they make. Uh, all sorts. <laughs> there's there's a part where these clone troopers are on traffic duty, and uh, the all the clone troopers were voiced by the same guy in the uh, in the prequels because they you know they're clones, and so they're like, "Whoa, we have the same thoughts. I feel like you know, we're the same person." So, you know, fun fun little things like that. Uh, but in the midst of all this, we get cutbacks, uh, cutaways back to the. Millennium Falcon on Kashyyyk, the home planet of the Wookiees, where they are preparing for the Life Day celebration and bringing everybody over. You mean Chewbacca's family from the original uh, holiday special even makes an appearance in this, which is a lot of fun. But uh, uh, Finn, Poe, Rose, uh, Chewie, and then R2-D2, C-3PO, they're all putting together this Life Day celebration. This is right after Finn. It starts with Finn and Ray, or Ray training Finn. And Finn is, oh, he's like, oh, well, I really want to be a Jedi. And Ray's kind of just like pushing him off. He's like, I have to read these books and this, that, and the other thing. And uh, eventually, the Emperor and Darth Vader get their hands on this crystal that they have to use to open up the portal, and Ray and Luke from 1977's movie are stuck in this cave with no way to get back, and Ray has her little moment of realization. Instead of helping Finn, I hurt his feelings. The most important thing, you forgot. Training, I was training him, but... You know, I was not his friend, so it's, you know, the connection's not there. It's Yeah, it's a cute little, uh, uh, you know, Christmas uh, sort of, uh, or Life Day, I guess. A uh, little message there. There are worst ways to spend uh, some time watching holiday movies. And this, trust me, you could be watching the original uh, Star Wars holiday special. We celebrate a day of you missed a segment. Hello? Hello? Anybody home? You can find it at WMAY.com slash arts and entertainment. You can hear the full show, some of the clips, some of the things you might not even hear on the air. Interactive appetite. Searching for a website, a window to the world that to get online. Take a spin. Now you're in with the techno set. You're going surfing on the internet. Thank you once again for listening in. I'll see you next week here at 11 a.m. WMAY.